guys can have a seat. If you're still online, you didn't check out when Marcia started going like this, then all right, we're good. Please let us, I promise not to do that ever again either, all right? Galatians chapter one is where we are. We just did kind of just open that up uh, as, as Nancy just read to us. We're gonna start a new series. I wanna back up a minute and uh, just wanna say thank you a couple people. So I know that behind the tech booth right now that it, half if not all of them said they could do it late in the week. And uh, Joe, I know you're gonna drum this week and then you got asked late if you could lead worship. Marcia, on announcements, I mean like all this stuff happened Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as we just got kind of just inundated with text message after text message of people testing positive this week uh, for COVID. I got 10 text messages in like 24 hours, and so it's crazy. So we're in this kind of post-Easter hangover thing, right? Where there's this kind of run up to Easter, there's this stuff, you have family, you have church of all these things, and then People are getting sick and kind of going through that. And so I'm glad you're here. Uh, I wish everybody could hear and, and participate. This will kind of be an introduction to what we're going to spend the next, let's say, four months or so doing. So if you've been here, if you were here through 2021, you know we did an overview of the Old Testament. Exodus, First and Second Samuel, as they go into the promised land. Um, Daniel, as they get kind of taken out. Uh, just a couple years prior, we went all the way through the book of Isaiah, and so we know how that plays out. Daniel to the exile in Babylon, then back to Ezra, Nehemiah, the ways of returning exiles back into the land. Then in January, we picked up with the Gospel of Mark and do, starting our overview of the New Testament. And so Mark, now if you add that to our kind of three-month, four-month study on Sunday nights at the end of last year through Acts, then we have kind of a gospel and then the birth of the church. And so we're going to pick up in some of the earlier letters that Paul writes. We'll wrap up the year in the book of Revelation. So we'll go from Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, probably right into Revelation, if not maybe a later letter in the middle of that. So here's the setting. On Easter Sunday, we hear about this Saul of Tarsus who is radically transformed by Jesus, who speaks to him from heaven as he is out on his way to persecute Christians, to literally arrest and persecute those who profess belief in Jesus. And then Jesus speaks to Saul, the man we know as Paul the Apostle. And literally as he speaks to him, blinds him, drops him to his knees, audible voice, the people with Saul hear this. And Saul's life is forever changed. We talked about that if you have had an encounter with the living Jesus, you have been changed. That there is change that is, is necessary. When you encounter the living Jesus, it by nature changes you. And so what does that change look like? What is that message that Jesus gives that is transforming? And so these early letters of Paul, that Galatians is roughly 50 AD. So if you're doing round number math, Jesus goes to the cross, dies, resurrects right around 30 AD. The church's birth two months later, really, into Jerusalem. And it spreads, becomes tens of thousands of believers in Jesus, primarily Jews who begin to follow Jesus as a part of their fulfillment of Judaism, God's promises to the people. But it stays kind of centralized in Jerusalem. It's a primarily 
Jewish faith at this point. And so as persecution hits early in the book of Acts, as the first martyr, Stephen, is killed for his faith, and Saul of Tarsus, quote-unquote Paul, the apostle, is there approving of the execution of Stephen, if not overseeing the execution. Then we see this man change. We see the church push out into other areas, into Judea, Samaria, and beyond. As Saul comes to faith, he then becomes a church planter and goes out and leads people to Jesus, tells them about Jesus, disciples them in their faith, raises up elders, and then says, okay, now be the church here in Galatia, in Cerritos, in wherever. He didn't go to Cerritos. I don't want you to be confused. All right. And then as he continues on as a way of helping and encouraging and continuing to and here's the words we'll use all throughout this series, establish the gospel and the church. He writes letters. Some will, will be as he's doing other ministry. Some will be later in his ministry as he is imprisoned and eventually will die, give his life for his faith. And so that's what we're going to pick up today. I want to intro this series with kind of a main idea. So letters from a pastor. In Paul's earliest writings, Galatians, again, 50 AD, he encourages young churches to know and understand the true gospel, and to keep it from being corrupted. To know the gospel, to understand the gospel. If you guys have read my book, I'd say this. The gospel is pretty, pretty simple in its essence, right? It's unending in its, in its implications for our lives. But it's pretty simple to get your hands around, to understand how it works and how it applies to us. And then it's that application to our lives that is an unending amount of things that we can learn. But it's pretty simple to get our heads around. And so Paul passes this on. He shares it with others. He disciples them, trains them, encourages, really empowers them to be the church. Not a Sunday gathering. The people. Be a 24-7 community of followers of Jesus. And then he goes and he does it in another city. Then he goes to another place. And then ultimately he goes back to the church that he's been a part of in Antioch. And then they send him out again, he does it again, and all the while he's encouraging these churches. So Galatians 1, starting in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, Paul had known the Galatians. He goes out to southern Galatia to share the gospel and plant churches in Acts 13. He goes out and he hits northern Galatia in Acts 18. And so he is well known to the Galatians. And often we hear these like Paul an apostle in this introduction. If I text you and I don't think you have my number, I'm like, hey, this is Pastor Jeff from Generations Church, something like that. We see it like that kind of, hey, this is who it is. They know who it is. What he's emphasizing here is his authority, not his own but the authority of Jesus has been given to him. So he's not really introducing himself like, hi, my name is Paul, I'm an apostle, right? Apostle, by the way, we give it a big job description, but it really what apostle means is to be sent by someone. When a king would send out a messenger in this culture, apostles, by the way, weren't just Christians, but when a pagan king who didn't worship Jesus sent someone out with a message, that goes with his authority, he would send them out from. They're, that was called apostles, right? They're people that would go out. We know the apostles like the official apostles of the Bible, like Paul, 
But really, what they are are sent messengers. They are being sent from. That's what apostle means. So they're being sent from Jesus with Jesus' message and Jesus' authority. That's who they are. So he's going, they're going out to proclaim a message on behalf of their king, Jesus. So Paul is doing that. So Paul, an apostle, not from men. In other words, men didn't send me out. I'm not sent from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. He is establishing the authority by which he is writing this. So we'll put this up too. Scripture as authority. Paul established his words by direct authority from Jesus. We set what we believe from Scripture, the God-breathed words of God, kept for us in Scripture. The doctrine of superintendence, right? The doc- that God superintends or protects or keeps his word. That he has given it to us, and then he goes and he protects that. And he gets it all the way up to us today, complete. The doctrine of inspiration that God breathed out through the lives of men, like Paul, writing this. His words through them. It's God's words, God's inspiration, and yet they flow through Paul, and they take on some of his character and his life and his relationships, but they're God's words. Verse 2, he says, And all the brothers who are with me, to the churches in Galatia. We often hear about, like, the church in, and then we add city. Sometimes people will say that, really, we should be the church in Cerritos, or the church in Long Beach, or the church in wherever. But there were many churches in Galatia. And they didn't look like this. Most of them were house churches in this setting. In Ephesus, it'll be very different. There was a very large church. But in this setting, there was lots of smaller churches, house churches, kind of what we call community groups, led by elders. And they were interrelational with one another, the other house churches that would gather, they had relationships with. And they kind of came together, and the elders came together and led kind of a whole community. But as Paul writes them, he says, listen, to the churches, plural, in Galatia. And so this would be a letter that would be read to all of them. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Every single letter that Paul writes, he will open with the words grace and peace. He will never open with the words peace and grace. Always grace and peace. When he's writing to Timothy, his kind of his protege, one of his disciples, one of the guys that he poured the most into, who is now pastoring a church that he began, he will also add mercy, grace, mercy, and peace, because he knows that to be a pastor, often you need some mercy, right? Like, hey, tough job, sometimes people are crazy. I know that does not apply here, ever. I got it. You guys are wonderful. Flawless. Grace and peace to you. Now, here's the distinction. You're like, okay, cool. Nice little fact. But here's the idea. Grace and peace. Never reverse. Grace and peace. The idea for Paul, and he will play that out in his letters, we'll see that actually as a theme to the book of Ephesians, or the letter to the Ephesians, is that grace always precedes peace. That you cannot have true peace unless you have been reconciled to God through grace. 
That the gospel precedes a life that is peaceful because it flows from the grace of God. So we'll put this up to grace and peace. Paul's greeting, grace and peace, reminds us that peace flows from the gospel, grace. We will never have true peace unless the grace of the gospel is in us. We will spend our lives looking for peace, searching for joy, seeking things that provide happiness, but we will never find what we long for deep inside, true peace in this world, unless grace has transformed us. That's why the Bible teaches us about peace that surpasses understanding. What that little phrase that gets often thrown around or used or or quoted means is that in a world or in a time or in a season of life where peace would make no sense, peace that surpasses that understanding is still yours in Christ. That you can have peace in a chaotic world through the grace of Jesus. So Paul, every letter says, grace and peace to you. So let's read it again. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I love that when reading that, Nancy is just like, let's just say that together, right? Like, let's just, let's hear that again. Let's say that. Let us understand that. So here's where Paul begins, kind of leads with the gospel. Here's who I am. Here's where my authority comes from. It's not from a man. It's from Jesus. I am sent from him. I'm here to give you a message from Jesus to you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let grace transform your life that you might have peace in this crazy world. And then he has this gospel proclamation, right? Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Remember that kingdom conversation here on Good Friday. How on the way to the cross, there's this protracted dialogue between Pontius Pilate and Jesus. And it's often overlooked. But on the way to the cross, as Pontius Pilate is finding Jesus innocent and offering to give the people Jesus instead of you know, releasing somebody bad like Barnabas, uh, Barabbas, excuse me. And, and, and they're like, no, let's, you know, crucify Jesus, give us the bad guy. There's this dialogue where Jesus is being asked, are you a king? He says, yes, my kingdom is not of this world. Pontius Pilate is pressing in and he puts the words over Jesus as Jesus is crucified, king of the Jews. Like that's who people have said he is. And he said he's a king and I don't really understand him, but I find no guilt in him. But he is clearly who he says he is, even if Pilate doesn't understand it. And there's this dialogue about, listen, that my people are not people fighting for this world. Right? Otherwise, we would have put up a fight in the garden when the guards came to arrest me. But instead, no, I went willingly. My kingdom is not of this world. And so Paul's gospel understands that. So he says, Grace to you and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. 
So Paul says, listen, the gospel is this, that that God loves you. He has ordained this gospel, this sacrifice for you. He gave his son for you. Jesus came and entered human flesh to live this life without sin because all of us sin. All of us are separated from God. So Jesus, God in human flesh, came to live a sinless life and yet die a sinner's death. That he would do that to be traded for us. That you and I get to exchange our death, our sin, our brokenness. That up on the cross, as Luther calls, the great exchange. That what we bring is our sin and our shame and our guilt. And we, we give it to Jesus on the cross. And on the cross, what Jesus gives back is his righteousness and his peace. Luther called that the great exchange. Where our brokenness is placed on Jesus And his wholeness is put on us. And so he says, Jesus, who gave his life to deliver you from this evil world, to deliver you from this this existence that is filled with pain and, and suffering, that no matter how long you pursue other things in this world, you will never find satisfaction. That you will never find peace until grace has transformed you. That grace comes from Jesus willingly laying down his life to cover your sin and resurrecting from the grave to give you new life. Now Jesus has ascended back into heaven and he pours out his spirit on the church, the very promise of baptism. I mean, you know, Kylia never even sang until we, until we baptized her last Sunday. Now this. I made that up. All right, so I made that up. She sang last week. The promise of baptism, the promise of the gospel is that you are filled with the very spirit of Jesus. The very spirit that raises him from from the dead raises your life up. That there is peace in that. That there is reconciliation with God. That there is redemption for broken lives. That inside of that we can find ourselves. We can, we can look in this world and we can chase down education and career and finance and family and fun. We can chase down all those things in life. We can chase down the affirmation of others, the, the, the recognition by our peers. We can chase down all those things. But they are never fulfilling. They always leave us empty. If we get what we're, we think we're looking for, we, we have it and we're like, this isn't doing what I thought it would do. This isn't filling me up like I thought it would. I thought if I just got to here, I'd be okay. We find out that this broken world is deeper than that. To deliver us from this present age. In Romans, Paul writes a little later in his ministry, he says, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin reigns here, but grace then transforms us. Grace reigns in our life, transforms us, gives us new life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That when we stop living for now, for here, for this world, that all of a sudden we we enter into the kingdom that Jesus was talking about. So Paul is telling this to the church in Galatia. And he's proclaiming the gospel. He's reminding them of the gospel that he already proclaimed to them. Remember, Paul's the one who took the gospel to southern Galatia, to northern Galatia. He's the one that taught them about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. 
He's the one who probably baptized many of the early believers, discipled the elders, the leaders of these churches and these homes. And he is reminding them, even in his opening greeting, he is encouraging them in the gospel. And then this, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you, meaning Jesus, him who called you in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Probably more appropriately, speaking about God the Father. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you, meaning God, in the grace of Christ, meaning the gospel, and are turning to a different gospel. Turning to a different gospel. He's reminding them, remember the gospel I brought you. Remember how I said your sin and your work has separated you from God. Not just yours, but the sin that we inherit the sin that we're born under, the curse of sin in the world, and then we join and add to sin, and we just add sin upon sin upon sin. No matter how hard we try, we still sin. And so we enter into this broken world under this, this weight of sin, this trap of sin, and there's no way of earning our way back to God. God, knowing, will never achieve working our way back to Him because we cannot. He sends His Son to us. He says, listen, you can't earn this. You can't be good enough or wealthy enough or pretty enough or liked enough or trending enough on social media to get my attention. He says, that will never work. That's not the gospel. So I will come to you. I will send my son to you. I will come to you in Christ and meet you where you are and lift you up in Christ. That you cannot earn the affection or the grace of God. Grace is defined as unmerited favor. You can't earn it. It's unmerited. Grace from God means a gift you cannot earn. The gospel is given freely. You cannot earn it. And Paul asks, like, it, he says, I'm, I'm astonished. I'm surprised that after the gospel that was so freeing and transforming to you, that after you receive that and, and you begin to live in that, how you would turn to a different gospel or a different message or how you would begin here and then believe someone else who adds or takes away from these things. I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting him who called you, meaning God, in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, a, a different message. Now, their setting is going to be kind of like this. A good Christian is one who has been transformed the gospel and, or plus, or minus. And the message they have been given adds to or takes away from the message of the gospel. And that's what Paul's going to talk to them about. So how can you move from a gospel of grace and mercy to a different message about rules and regulations? That's what he's saying. About a message who says you must please achieve this, these things, do these things, and, and not do these other things. You've got to live in such a way where God will love you and save you. We're not talking about doing right and wrong what God calls you to in obedience we're not even talking about God blessing a life that is obedient to him or lifting his blessing off a life that is not obedient. We're not talking about this. We're talking about a different message of salvation. The thing that gets you, 
to God, the thing that keeps you in God, the, the trust, the hope, the faith that one day when we stand before God, it will be okay. He says, you're turning to a different message. Not how you live the message, but a different message. So verse six, we'll start over. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So here's what's been happening to them. And again, if you've got a copy of my book, if you've read through that, the same thing happens in the, to the church in Rome. What happens is after the gospel is established in the city and a church begins to grow, there's a group of people coming in called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers are going into these cities and going into these churches, and they are Jewish converts to Christianity, except they've added a lot of things and rules and regulations. Not things that Jesus taught, not even things that Paul had taught or anybody else had taught, they're adding. So they're trying to take the Jewish things back here, the Torah law, they're trying to superimpose them on Christianity when the, when the Torah law was supposed to point us forward, not only to our need for a savior, but also to what Jesus would fulfill, how he would accomplish our salvation. Like sacrifices in the temple pointed forward to Jesus' death on the cross. That his living out the laws would be the perfect life that would make him the perfect unblemished sacrifice. And so once you have Jesus, you, you have the real thing, not the thing pointing to something else. And so they said, why would you then, if you have the, why would you go backwards? Why would you go back to the shadow instead of the real thing? But they're coming into the church and they're saying, listen, you Galatian Christians who are non-Jewish or Gentiles, to be a good Christian, you also have to go back and be circumcised. You see, circumcision was that covenant to fulfill that a Savior would come. That through the seed of Adam, through the seed of Abraham, would come a Savior. And through that, redemption would come. So it was a foreshadowing and a remembrance and, and, and a promise even to David from your line, from your, from your legacy, from your family will come the Savior. And so it pointed forward to Jesus. So once Jesus comes, you don't have to practice circumcision. You don't have to practice the thing that points forward. In fact, Paul and a couple other, and two books later will tell us that baptism is the fulfillment, the now way we celebrate what used to be circumcision. You'll say that now you've been baptized. And what happens is all the blood symbols from the Old Testament, sacrificial system, the Passover lamb, circumcision, you can't be circumcised without blood. All the blood symbols have been fulfilled in the blood of Christ. And so they all take a back seat. And Christ gives us communion, like we'll celebrate today, and baptism, like we celebrated last week. No more, no more Passover lamb, we have bread and a cup. No more circumcision, we have baptism. And as Galatians will teach us, that we all are united in baptism. Male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, all. So Paul is saying, listen, why would you go from a, the freedom of the fulfillment of everything in Christ? 
who set you free to live for him, why would you go backwards into the things that never saved anyone, but only pointed forward to Jesus? Why would you trade the freedom of Christ and the spirit for laws and regulations you never have followed anyways? Why would you give that up? Here's some modern day versions. I want to write some down. Like in order to be a good Christian, you must vote for blank political party. Right? And I won't even pick one because it's, it happens on both sides. Right? Falsely believing that the solution for this world is politics. As if that will solve things. Or in order to be a good Christian, you need to make up rules that go beyond what scripture tells you. The false belief there is the Holy Spirit inside of me can't govern me better than the rules I will make for myself. Right, that's common in our culture. We call that legalism. In order to be a good Christian, you have to try super hard to, believe, to, to please God, to gain God's favor and love, falsely believing that your works, your efforts, are better than what Christ did and has given to you. Like, those are things that we see all the time. We see them preached from pulpits. Prosperity doctrine. God wants you to be rich and... No, God wants you to be holy. God wants you to be his. You may be broken his or rich in his. But if you're his, that's the gospel. Some subtle ways we do this. Like when you're broke and you need a job, you lose a job and you can't find work. We've seen this time and time and time again. And so you plug into a church at that point. Like, I really, will you guys pray with me? I really need a job. Yes, we'll, we join together and you come to church all the time. You go to a community group, you serve, you do all these things, then you get a job. And then the job becomes consuming and you kind of drift away from serving. You drift out of your community group. You even end up, well, not going to serve. Well, then my weekends, I need to rest on the weekends. And what you, what you forget is that when you had nothing to offer, God was there for you and God cared for you and met you then. And a church walked with you and loved you and walked with you then. Clearly not for your money because you didn't have any. Here's another one. Somebody goes through a bad breakup. And they lean in heavy to the church. They need community. Their prayers are about healing and restoring their heart and their soul. And that someday a future man or a woman, a, a mate for them, a spouse for them would come along. And then they meet somebody. And so, of course... Going to church, going to community group, we're serving, we're being faithful to the church, we're prayerful, we're praying together. And they meet somebody, and the next thing you know, we don't see that person again because they're busy now. We're too busy for a community group, they're too busy to serve, they're too busy for church because they're out exploring this relationship. Remember the very thing that we were praying for that, that God met you in, but here's the deal it's a false belief that someone else will be as fulfilling as Jesus is those of us that are married, we know our Savior can't be our spouse. Their family can't be our community that we need more. There's all these things that are super subtle, but they work our way in, work their way into things. That we will sacrifice church and discipleship in order to get our kids a scholarship so they can go to college as if their vocation can satisfy them better than a relationship with Jesus can. Those are gospels we buy into, false messages about ourselves that we buy into in the church and they're subtle. 
But they, they get us. They hook us. Verse 8. Paul continues. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach you a gospel contrary to the one we preached you, then let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The podcast I've been doing, this Questions from a Classroom series that came from high school students asking questions, especially last year, it continued on. So we were tackling these questions. And the idea behind the podcast series was that I would get asked questions by a senior in high school. And I would kind of, those are the same kind of questions I was getting asked by adults, like, you know, 40, 50, 30, whatever age. And I feel like those questions are coming up and they never really get answered. So we spent a year answering the, kind of these questions and categorizing them. And, and if you want to hear more about that, let me know later I'll tell you. But there's this one that came from the internet that kept coming up. And I mean, kept coming up. And I kept trying to ignore it, right? <laughs> kept coming back and like, what about aliens? And I don't know exactly what you guys think about aliens, but I don't think about aliens at all. <laughs> at all. Not the, run, not the one, I, no, any alone. just not, I just don't. And it was all over the news because they were declassifying some FBI paperwork, which was a big nothing anyhow. They were so redacted, they didn't say anything. But that was on the news a lot. And so social media, I'm just getting, just, okay, here it is. And so I said, okay, listen, by definition, an alien, again, we don't mean an immigrant, we mean otherworldly, an alien, right? By definition, is someone who is not of this world, not born of this world, right? That's, I mean, that's somewhere else, created, made, not here, okay. So by definition, angels are aliens, right? So there's a reason to believe in aliens, for there's something other than us that we're told about. There's fallen angels called demons, Satan, so for me, maybe, but I don't really care. And I had to get through that to answer the question, but here's where I went. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. So if someone lands here in a spaceship and they're green and have antennas and they tell you there's no Jesus, Paul says, let him be cursed. That's all I got for aliens. <laughs> Is I don't know. But if they preach anything other than Jesus, I'm saying they're wrong. I don't care if they can travel time and distance, I can't. I got Jesus. And Paul says, I don't care who tells you a different message. I don't care if an angel from heaven comes down and tells you, let him be cursed. Paul says, because I got this message directly from Jesus, and when he told me, it dropped me to my knees and blinded me. I'm quite sure about this message. So I don't care who tells you what, they're not the creator of the universe. So are there aliens? I have no idea, but I'm quite sure about the gospel. Verse 10, for now, am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He said, listen, when I was a Jew and persecuting Christianity, people loved me. People funneled money to me to go out and do that. Now, to be fair, Paul's had an incredible life as a Christian too. But he has been constantly on the run. He's been arrested and beaten and imprisoned for his faith. He will go on to be arrested when he's in Ephesus and then take his long journey to Rome where he will eventually give his life and his head for the gospel. 
had he remained a Jew persecuting Christians, that had never happened. He says, so is my message now trying to please man? No. Or I would not be a servant of Jesus. Because being a servant of Jesus means living so contrary to the, the way the world lives. So that was true 2,000 years ago in AD 50. And it's true here in America in AD 2022. See, the gospel calls us to live differently. She isn't pleasing to man. It is seeking above all else to live for Jesus and please him alone. And again, not please him for our salvation. Please him so he'll like us on judgment. It's please him because he is the creator of the universe. And when all this world comes to a conclusion, he will still be. And then when we stand in front of him, we want to stand in Christ. Forgiven and holy and righteous. Verse 11, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul reminds them, I didn't go to a harvest crusade and hear the gospel. I was going to persecute Christians, and Jesus blinded me from heaven. He dropped me to my knees and told me he is alive, which is the emphasis of the gospel. Yes, he died. Yes, he resurrected, but is alive, reigns as king today. The emphasis is a living Jesus. And he says, and he told me that message. Who are you, Lord? Remember from last week, Paul, or Saul of Tarsus then, right? Saul, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Okay, everything changes now. Thought you were fake. You're not fake. Everything is different. So he says, listen, I'm an apostle. I'm one who is sent. It's not me that's the authority. It's the one who sends me. And I'm not sent from man or by man, but from Jesus. Jesus is sending me. It's his message. You're his people. I'm his servant. It's his. And so because of that, it's true. Because of that, it's authoritative. And his message, his gospel is unchanging. So here's a note for you. Guarding the biblical gospel. We are to guard our doctrines so that our sinful hearts and the culture we live in don't reshape our beliefs into a false gospel. Which, false gospel is like, it, it, it's a nonsensical term. There's either gospel or not. Right? Church engagement provides biblical safeguards. Here's what I mean by that. Being in church and hearing the subtle ways that things creep in, being in a community group and, and leaning into scripture and studying the Bible together as a community, being around the church engagement. That doesn't mean, and, and God bless you, if you're at home and, and you cannot come in, God bless you, we're glad you're online. But if you can be in, you should be here. That this is engaging in the church. Online is viewing, not really even attending. And if you're here, and you walk in, and then you walk back out, and that's all you do, that's not engaging in the church either. Being a part of the community of faith is engaging with the church. If Sundays is all you do, it's time to up your game. Because there is more to this faith. And the thing that helps us, the thing that walks with us, the thing that helps us create safeguards in our life from allowing our hearts to draw us off track, our culture to draw us off track. And when I, when I say culture, I don't mean an agenda in politics. I mean 
church culture, American culture, drawing us off track in things that sound good. The thing that safeguards that is Christian community that is centered on the word and in prayer. That when you spend that time together in God's presence, with God's people, in God's word, talking and engaging with God, that helps safeguard this. That helps keep our doctrine pure. There's nothing more dangerous than the sentence, well, I think this. Really? Like, based on what? Like, Scripture is our anchor. It's our tether to what is true, what God has given us, what is right, what is necessary, and what is, what is saving, what is salvation. Christian community helps us with that. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, his disciple, his protege, who's now pastoring or trying to get a church together that Paul began, the church in Ephesus. And in 1 Timothy, he says this, Timothy, guard the deposit and trust you. Guard the gospel, the, the message of the God. Guard the deposit. Think of the gospel like this. Like, like I have this message, this, this thing, and I, I want to give it to Chris right here. And I'm going to deposit it into Chris. And Chris is going to deposit it not only into Kylea, but into the rest of the world. He's going to take and give it away. And then whoever he gives it away to, then it's deposited in them. The whole thing. And then given away. Guard the deposit is what he's saying. Guard that gospel that's been placed in you. Avoid, he says, irreverent Babylon, contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Right? Like, there are ways that seem right to men, but in the end, they're not what God says. In 2 Timothy, he writes another letter. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I got caught up in that stupid Netflix series on Hillsong. You guys seen that? Ugh. It's this. You can walk into what is nothing short of a rock concert and hear how God wants you to be rich and wealthy and happy. Hear nothing of sin. Hear nothing of the cross. Hear nothing. And leave like, that was rad. That was the best TED talk I've ever heard. That's not the gospel. It's totally what I want to hear but it's not necessarily what God says. He says people will just long for those things that make them feel good. Verse 13, so you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age and among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He's reminding them like, listen, the message coming to you from people who are Jewish, they're bringing you this message, that was my world. And he's like, and that wasn't it. Or Jesus would not have had to blind me on the road to Damascus because that was, I had a PhD in their stuff. Verse 15, he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. He says, listen, when I heard the gospel, I got it straight from Jesus. I didn't go ask anybody else about it. 
I went into the church he sent me to and I stayed there. Verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem and visited uh, Cephas, which is Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. I want you to hear this. When Paul says, when he who set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son for me. Remember, Paul is telling us, listen, our salvation comes from God. That God is sovereign over our salvation. He says, I didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose me. I was going to persecute Christianity, and he blinded me on the spot and called me. And when he was pleased to reveal his son to me, I listened to him. I didn't go figure out what the rest of the world thought about this. I listened to him. He spends three years being discipled by a Christian named Ananias. The story that is untold when we tell the story of Saul, right? The other one Jesus speaks to, but doesn't have to go blind. Like the guy who's in prayer and Jesus is speaking to him and it seems like a normal day for Ananias. Yet God is speaking to him. He's like, I went and listened to that guy because that's where Jesus sent me to. How many of us took our faith so seriously that when we came to faith or when we realized our own faith that we spent years leaning into discipleship and still do today? Or we just thought, I got this. I just need my life, a couple fixes, plus Jesus. Or do we take our faith serious enough to go, we need to lean into this. Verse 18, verse 19, excuse me, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, and in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. But still, I wasn't the guy I am today that people know. I was unknown. Verse 23, they were only hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. He's like, they just knew that I used to be that, and now I was completely different. And that caused them to listen to me so I could tell them about Jesus. He finishes with this, verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. Does your life and your message point people to Jesus? Do they show that you trust in Jesus in such a way that nothing else rises to that level of importance and obedience in your life as does Jesus? Or when they look at our lives, do they see us giving ourselves away to other things as if they can fulfill us? Do your lives point to and glorify the God who created you and saved you and keeps you the God you always cry out to when you need him. But it's so easy to forget when life is a little more at ease. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You will never have peace in this life apart from the grace of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You have come and rescued us from ourselves. The world we live in, brokenness, pain, chaos, all of it is what we made it. It's what we continue to make it. We act as if something else is the problem and humanity is the solution. Humanity is the problem. You're the solution. Jesus, help us to remember that when we give so much of our lives and our time 
our energy, our focus, our effort away to things that will never fulfill us. Help us to remember that you alone, you alone are the gospel. That you free us to live for you. That you empower us with your spirit to live for you. Because God has said it to be so. As we come forward this morning and we take communion, we remind ourselves that your body was broken, your blood was shed, and that we as followers of yours remind ourselves with that. In fact, you strengthen us through this reminder, through this means of grace, that you remind us that it's in your brokenness we're made whole. It's in your death that we have life. And that through that, you strengthen us and you send us back out to our work week, to our school week, to whatever it is that we do for the rest of this week. Encourage us, strengthen us. Help us to engage in the community that you have given us, if not for ourselves, for others, because we need one another. Cause us to reflect in our hearts before we come forward and take communion, Jesus. Let us approach you with open hands, open ears, that you would change what needs to be changed, that you would strengthen what needs strengthening, that you would encourage us in all things.